Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Good evening, role players, redditors, and right swipers. This is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Hey, hey, everybody. How you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm your host, comedian Billy Presida. Uh, if you are new to the program, this is a podcast, and I hope you knew that much already. Uh, <laughs> this is a podcast where normally each week I talk to women I've hooked up with about sex, dating, sexuality, and love. However, uh, this week I have another special guest, Dr. Jane Ward. Threw the doctor in there. She doesn't have it on the book, but I put it in there. Um <laughs> I can't wait to tell you more about Jane Ward in a bit. Uh, she's a, an academic, an author. She is uh, quite fantastical. But first, more about me, people. Me. I mean, hey, look, we could talk about the Planned Parenthood shootings, but I mean, hey, if the GOP candidates are only now making statements, why should I start doing it? Of course, you know, when uh, when someone shoots up a Planned Parenthood building, they're probably deranged and uh, a crazy person. And mental illness has to play a factor. But, you know, uh, if if they blow up a, a concert hall venue in France, then they're radical Islamic terrorists. So that's very strange. When when are we just going to finally hear, ah, it was a, it was a radical Chris, evangelical terrorist. When are we going to hear, oh, those Christian terrorists? Oh, yeah, never, because then who would vote for the right? Uh, who would vote for them? Ah, uh, tragic, tragic what happened in Colorado, but sadly, I am I'm quite immune and numb to such shootings. We've gotten to the point in this country where there's so much shootings. I, I am more upset, hurt, and saddened when the Jets lose a big game than when there's yet another mass shooting. So, I don't know. I mean, really, the... This uh, this particular attack is just like a um, physical manifestation of the the ideological attack on women's rights. But hey, you know uh, I'm a man, so I'm probably going to be sitting pretty either way, right? I don't need abortions. I mean, until I try to run for office and then I knock someone up out of wedlock, and then I I need to take care of it. Man, wouldn't it be fabulous to find out that one of these people running for office has paid for an abortion very secretly hush hush under a table 20 30 years ago that wouldn't that just be great watch them try to rationalize i don't know world's fucked up man but uh me i i've had a good week uh, i've been i've been pretty solid slipped up on the diet for a couple days but i'm back on holding strong you know, it was Thanksgiving. What are you going to do, right? I mean, look, if I wasn't supposed to order Domino's, why would it be open on Thanksgiving? I tried. I did my best. Part of me thought, you know, like maybe if I jerked off right now, I will lose all desire to have Domino's. And I would have tried that strategy had it not been like 12.58 a.m. right before Domino's was going to close. I was like, eh, look, I know I'm quick, but I don't know if I could rub one out in 90 seconds and still have time to place my order. So sadly, I had to, uh, I gave into the temptation, but I'm okay, guys. I'm still down like six, seven, eight pounds. Um, after a month, I'm pretty happy with that. <coughs> Otherwise I had a good week, you know, had some sex, saw some movies, hung out with friends. It was a good time. 
was a good time. I just got laid like a couple hours ago. So I'm I'm feeling in a good mood. I am possibly glowing. I do know that my hair is fucked up. Uh, I, I had a good Thanksgiving. I went to the creek in the cave, hung out with a bunch of comedians. That was a great time. Um, it's, it's way better than going home. If I'm going to hang around a bunch of fucked up people, I'd rather hang around people who are like really funny and fucked up. Let's do this. Let's do the uh, impersonal Patreon thank you roll call. Yeah. This is the part of the show where I like to thank everyone who financially supports the Man Whore podcast on Patreon. And look, if you are not a patron of the show and you're listening to this, it's not that I don't love you. It's just that I love the listeners who give me money a little bit more. So right now, I want to give a very special thank you to Alexandra V, Christina D, Holly F, SB, Lauren A, Madeline B, Dave K, Andrew R, Megan N, number one, Megan N, number two. You girls can fight it out, figure out who's who. Uh, Sarah B, Gregory Y, Anna Superslut, Sean B, Prickly Peach, Nellie H, Jazz O, Mary G, Jessica A, and still more names to read. Jeff C, Jennifer C, Ed B, Greg A, Jeffrey J, Dervla, Lawrence B, Ramon F, Justin C, and Super Not Gay Lance. Thank you all so much. Uh, It means a whole lot to me that y'all are contributing. And you too, listening person, can support the Man Whore Podcast and receive a slew of great rewards. You can contribute as little as $1 a month, and you can cancel at any time. To do so, just go to patreon.com slash podcast, or you can go to manhorpod.com and click the Patreon banner on the side. And, uh, you know, while you're at manhorpod.com, you can check out the blog, my show dates for stand-up, you can buy some merch, get on that mailing list, you can do that too. Um, and, and I love that the, the list of patrons is growing each week. It's pretty awesome. Uh, we're, we're getting closer and closer to the first milestone goal of $300 a month pledged. We're over 60% towards that goal. And at the first milestone, uh, I'm going to start putting out a monthly newsletter exclusive to everyone on the mailing list. It will update y'all about, you know, what's going on in my life that you haven't heard on the podcast. That can include bloopers from the episodes that can include, um, just stories and events that happened to me that just did. I didn't have time to talk about here on the show. So you want to get on that mailing list, and if you want to make that happen, uh, make your pledge today. Also, with that money, it will give me kind of like a war chest with which to bribe uh, or let's just say influence some of the gals who have been less than enthusiastic about doing the podcast. Because remember, more girls that I can get on the show means more episodes for you with me, with my exes. So let's make that happen. I, I think I don't see any reason we cannot reach that goal before the new year. Please be a part of it and make your pledge today or tomorrow. Like you may be busy, but like put an event in your iCal and be like, hey, make a pledge. Uh, <laughs> here's something you can do for free. I am planning to do a clip show of all the best man whore podcast moments, probably for the two year anniversary in April, I'm thinking, and I need your help. Please email me your favorite moments, whether that's a particular part of an episode, or maybe you like the particular guest. Maybe there was a rant I did that you enjoyed. Email me manhorpod at gmail.com. Let me know what I should include. Uh, I'd like to read an email from, uh, from one Christopher Billy. 
heard your intro to the podcast today, and you sound like you're getting a little cocky about the fancy league. Just want to remind you, we are playing this week, and last time I crushed you like a grape, 139.56 to 56.3. Yes, uh, Chris, I, I remember that game. That was a, a very painful week for me, and a bunch of, of my players went down in that game. It was painful. It was also early on in our in the fantasy season. I'm still coming into my own. I'm still learning how to manage a team, okay? Uh, and, and so I just want to update everyone on how uh, our matchup this week is going. I am currently ahead 124.36 to Christopher's 90.64. What? Um, oh, I still, by the way, have um, Ben Roethlisberger and DeAndre Williams are still playing. So who knows what more points I may get. But hey, man, don't worry about it. You know what? Maybe your Denver kicker, McManus, will get you like 25, 30 points. So, hey, you're still in it, buddy. Look, if I'm getting at all cocky about the Fantasy Football League, it might just be because I earned it. Woo! Second place. Going to the playoffs, baby. Suck dicks. I'm sorry I don't have more updates for you guys. Um, It's just, like I said, it's been a good week. I've mostly been good on the diet. Women have been nice to me. I didn't get into a big fight over Thanksgiving. I mean, like, I'm in a good space, people. I may have lost my comedy notebook at a bar. I'm not too sure about that. Uh, but then again, I today I can't find my glass dildo. So maybe my room is just messy. Losing my dildo is just giving me hope that I also still have my comedy notebook. Because I know I didn't lose the dildo in a bar. So there is hope. Um, this week's guest. Oh, holy. Sh- I've literally been waiting months for this woman to be in New York City so we could have her on this show. Jane Ward is an associate professor of women's studies at UC Riverside. Uh, she's also a very well-respected author. She's written a book, Respectably Queer, Diversity, Culture, and LGBT Activist Organizations. Today, I, I have her on the show talking about her latest book, Surprise Mainstream Sensation. The book is called Not Gay, Sex Between Straight White Men. Uh, It's about straight white dudes who have homosexual encounters with other straight white dudes, and it's totally not gay. And Jane Ward is going to explain to you why, because uh, I would not dare try to explain it um, because I cannot do it nearly enough justice. But this is great. I'm I'm reading this book right now. I'm about 150 pages into it. I'm loving it. It's uh fascinating. Like I had no idea that Hell's Angels used to make out with each other. It's cool. It's great. It's wild. So um it, it's it's really interesting stuff. Great conversation. We talk about her book. We also talk about you know being a better ally and intersectional feminism. Uh, some some cool stuff. I think you're all going to enjoy this one. I know I did. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Jane Ward. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. 
Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. It is a talk drawn from the fifth chapter of this book, which is the chapter about hazing. Ah, the, so, the elephant walk? Yes, the elephant walk, the military. I don't know if you've read any of that stuff, but there's some examples from the military. Um, the Navy does a uh, an initiation ceremony called Crossing the Line. But don't they have a whole and, song in the Navy? Isn't that what that's about? No? <laughs> it's, it's often used in gay... As you know, there's gay subtext. When I go out in Chelsea, that's usually what I hear a lot. Yeah. Well, who was that? That was the village people, right? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, So so those examples have been especially controversial. So I decided that I would give the talk uh, and focus on those because a lot of people have responded feeling like, you know, that's about rape. That's not about sex. These are you know, men being forced to participate in a hazing, a sexualized hazing activity mm-hmm. that they wouldn't otherwise participate in. Okay. Okay. Well, well welcome to the show. Thank I'm, you. I'm here with Jane, Dr. Jane Ward, uh, author of Not Gay, Sex Between Straight White Men. Uh, uh, I saw the cover. I saw the title. I was in. I, wa- I wanted to know. <laughs> I want to know what this is about because I've seen those Craigslist ads. Yeah, you know. Oh, you had seen them already. <laughs> oh, I've seen them for okay. years. Right. I'm, uh, I've, I've had my fair share of Craigslist encounters, and have you responded <clears throat> to any of those? Not, not for those M for M ones. Okay. No, uh, just on occasion the ones who were paying to watch, but that was about it. Uh, oh, you've done that. <laughs> uh, I webcammed in college for okay. a year or so. Yeah, okay. and then I did one live session here in New York. Because I went to NYU, so I was around, and uh, I need money. Yeah. Because we, when you're 20 with a crippling gambling addiction, cash is needed. Yeah. And yeah. Well, some people would say that that means that you are in the closet and truly gay, or at least bi, and you're just not being honest with yourself. And this book is, in many ways, a response to that obsess- obsessive commitment to believing that any kind of homosexual encounter exchange activity means that people are fundamentally gay. I kind of feel like you wrote No Homo the book. Yes. Well, except that No Homo, the context of No Homo. Well, yes. Yes. I think you're right. Just one big like, hey, man, seriously, I swear. It's not. (laughs) Your inciting incident was like, how long ago? This is like 10, 20 years. I was being, you know trying to be lofty with my age guess um well i'm 42 okay and i was in college so gosh even more than 20 years okay 20 years and and you had a boyfriend or a guy you went on a date with right admit to a hazing ritual he did yeah called the elephant walk which i've never heard of i've never heard of of that okay i mean i also don't hang out with a lot of men so maybe that's why but yeah so he was telling me um in this very casual, like, get a load of this story kind of way. Um, and I had been probing him, you know, just wanting information about, tell me about what it was really like in mm-hmm. your fraternity at USC. And uh, and he said, well, and he described this ri- initiation ritual that he had seen. 
probably had participated in that part was a little fuzzy who's like i was sick that day they tried to pull one of those i was just i was just standing in the corner i was assigned to hold the camera i was injured i wasn't allowed in a doctor's note (laughs) so he um so anyway what he described to me was that all of the pledges have to get naked and stand in a circle and there i later discovered looking at uh anthropological and and sociological accounts of this thing which is it turns out has been well documented mm-hmm. um that there are different iterations of it but but basically you're either holding hands between your legs or you've got your hand or you're holding each other's dicks or you've got your hand in your thumb in the anus of the guy in front of you so you're connect one way or another you're connected like circus elephants tail to trunk and you're kind of moving around in a circle um and so he tells me this like Fucking straight guys are weird like you know <laughs> uh, this is just like what dudes do when they're drunk or when they're hazy when they're messing around yeah. and i was like wait a second you know i'm just trying to imagine straight women doing that <laughs> it's not happening it's just not happening or if it did and even more interesting to me was that if it did happen the way it would be perceived would be very different so i'm as interested in um the the cultural narratives that we that we the stories we tell about mm. straight men's um sexuality and its contradictions and how that's different from the stories we tell about women fast forward to to the present where yeah, i decide yeah. to actually do this research and what i argue in the book is that all straight people both men and women are give are given opportunities by mainstream culture by the dominant culture to have engage in some kind of homosexual touching and still retain their straight status mm-hmm. but those cultural opportunities are very different for men than they are for women the opportunities provided to straight women basically all fall in the category of you can kiss another woman, you can hook up with another woman, as long as you're doing it for male spectators, your boyfriend, right. dudes at the bar, whatever, as long as it's a it's a spectacle, it's a show. Um, There's a that's camera, for it's men. fine. It's, yeah. yeah, it's being, it's being um, consumed by the male gaze, yeah. then then you can do that. And, and in no way are people thinking like, oh, look at those sad lesbians who just won't come out to each other. <laughs> no, you know, it's understood that that's a heteronormative context. That is not the same for men. For men, the opportunities that they, for straight men, the opportunities provided to them to touch each other's bodies are paradoxically all about homophobia. It's Mm -hmm. like you're, you're touching each other to prove precisely how straight you are by making a big, you know, doodly, fratty, homophobic show of it. So, thrown in there you know at the same time that you're like pretending to hump your friend you're calling him a fag yeah uh it's gotta be a big hump like if you do it almost too sensually <laughs> then, then that would gonna, be gay yeah yeah right okay it has to be so what's interesting is that both of these are performances they're yeah. they're incredibly spectacularly performative because they're not about the intimacy between the two people they're more about what you know p- other people get to see um, and in both cases, the show is for men. Women are doing, women are, are straight identified women are hooking up with other women for men and straight identified men are touching other men's bodies for, for men. men. And, um, you know, hazing is 
one of those really, it's kind of the perfect nexus of all of the elements that allow straight men to touch each other and not be gay. You know, there's like the grotesque, there's usually some grossness happening. There's humiliation, there's the fantasy that you have to do it or something horrible will happen to you. Like like you won't get into your favorite frat. All these straight guys have like secretly do have a rape fantasy. It's just like with other men. Yeah, maybe. With other men watching. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Well, I I talk about that quite a bit in the book that the the fantasy, the story for men is often that they have to do it, yeah. you know, um, which in some uh, interestingly in in slash and a lot of fan fiction is called the fuck or die trope. Like, you okay. know, you you would never otherwise do this, but you have to do it because gun of, to your head. Who, yes. Whose dick will you suck? Right. Yeah. Exactly. But of course, there's no gun to the head. <laughs> I'm glad you have that at the ready. There's no gun to the head. What there is is just peer pressure, you know, the peer pressure around getting into the fraternity. If, if it's in boarding school or in high school, the peer pressure is just about, you know, showing other people that you're not gay by engaging in this gay chicken test or whatever it is that you're doing. Gay chicken. Do you know about that kind of thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I have uh, these two comedians, um, Louis Gomez and Dave Smith. Uh, very funny guys in New York, and they always they very openly talk about that. Sometimes they will like play a game where they each they hold each other's dicks and then look each other in the eye, and whoever gets hard first, you call them a fag. Like I'm like straight straight guys are yeah. weird. Straight guys are very they strange. Actually, they do that. <laughs> they do are, that. They're holding each other's like they're nude like, cocks. Nude nude cocks, and then just they wait for one or the other to get hard. Where are they showering together, or how does they just hang out? <laughs> how do they they're end very, up in that? Context. They are very comfortable okay. with each other. Okay. It's very strange. But uh meanwhile, these are the same type of that that type of guy, by the way, calls me a fag because I cry during movies, you know? Yeah. But, well, that is not at all surprising because yeah. it turns out that um, you know, the specter of the fag is always looming. Any man could be a fag until he's proven innocent. And the kinds of things that... <laughs> gay, that in, gay until proven guilty? Yeah. Or straight until proven guilty? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the kinds of... Or or it's really gay until proven straight. Yeah. You know, that you're always potentially a fag if you're too sensitive, if you're too sincere, if you're not... You don't treat women like shit, if you're too... You love your mom too much. I mean, it's right. amazing the... As I'm sure you know. If you love, if you don't way. love your mom enough, like you can't win. I hate. That's what I hate about fucking guys. That's why I'm not friends with dudes. I can't do it. I'm friends with comedians and women because I can't handle guys. None of it makes sense to me. Are comedians? Do you feel like they're a different class of men? No, but we all know we're in jest ultimately. Okay. So it's a little bit of a different atmosphere. I, I find comedians to be way more liberal socially than. Yeah most of the rest of society because we're kind of always we're, we're the outcasts looking in all of us kind of got picked on a bit for the most part right you know so even though they may like give me shit they know that i could come back at them <clears throat> for something else like i could talk about how he's like a caveman dragging his knuckles around beating women like i i can make fun of his misogyny just as well as he can make right. fun of my femininity right and so there's that mutual respect and it's but, kind of a level playing field yeah but if i made fun of the, the misogyny of like a c- civilian dude in front of his <laughs> friends, they wouldn't find it funny. He'd be like, yeah, that's normal. I'd be like, no, you don't get it. Like, okay. I see. But the, the whole like, the whole like, you don't love your mother enough. You love your mother too much. I was like, I can't win with you guys. Right. You know, I have, I have a, I have a fucking podcast 
where I talk every week almost with women I've hooked up with. And that's still not enough for some of them. Some of them still think I'd like dick. And I'm like, all right, man, whatever. I don't care anymore. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't deal with it. Yeah. It's an, it's incredible. It's truly your work is never done to prove that you're straight. I've stopped trying to prove it. I said, you want to, you think what you want. It's, it doesn't matter to me. I'm going to go have sex with these women. If that, I'm going to go to the sex party. You have fun on the internet. Call me gay. Cause <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'll be fucking some women yeah, while you're doing that. I'm going to go do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Funny. it's just, it's just wild. Um, so what was your preoccupation though with that when you first heard it? Cause it's, mm-hmm. it's stayed with you for like 20 plus years. Right. What's, what's that fascination about? Well, you know, that wasn't the only story. There were other stories along the way uh-huh. that I that I f- f- filed away into the straight dudes touching each other's cocks file <laughs> in my in my mind. Um, you, sorry to interrupt. But are you yeah. one of those women who also you you enjoy that? Is that something I know a lot of girls who they like to watch gay porn like two men? Yeah, like, there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know. It's that porn is. Um, a genre in which the vast, vast, vast majority of the images that you're seeing are objectifying women mm-hmm. and women get tired of seeing that same, you know, um, same old tired story of a <laughs> yeah. blonde with big boobs being objectified. Right. And so it's an incredible relief actually to watch something that's really raw, super edgy. You know, it's all about fucking. There's nothing like delicate about it, uh-huh. but there's no women being objectified. It's 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 like you get to watch sexuality. You get to watch sex happening without in any way having to worry about where your subjectivity lies within that scene because mm. it's not about you or about women at all i think that's a tremendous relief for women in a sexist world to um to get to to consume sexual images that way so yes i mean i'm interested in i I work in queer studies i write about sex i teach about sex and i'm interested in the lies we tell about sex as a culture Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know things we're unwilling to talk about the contradictions that are not exposed that is as interesting to me as any of the particulars. And so what happened was that about 10 years ago, the media became very interested in, in the topic of sexual fluidity. It, mm. it, and it centered primarily <laughs> around um, women, young women, who girls who kiss girls, girl-on-girl action, mm. you know, just this explosion of interest mainstream interest in images of um, women kissing and touching and then at the same time there was a lot of attention being paid to black men on the down low um, and to a lesser extent latino men um, on the down low and so as there's just all you know article after article being written about young women hooking up with each other black men and you know going to download clubs and possibly mm. infecting their wives and girlfriends with HIV blah 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 I was like where you know who's missing in this conversation are white men <laughs> why aren't we talking about white men because I know I knew remember I consulted my file of you know all of those anecdotes right. <laughs> of, of straight white men um, who touch each other and these the thing that was important about those stories that I had heard is that they were not about just 
two dudes that I happen to know hooking up in a living room. They were they were happening in institutional context. So I mm. knew that this kind of contact between men was um was institutionalized to a certain extent. There was something about the group context that was facilitating it. So when you're talking about not gay, you're not talking about the guys who are like, so white guys on the down low who know that they're gay, but are putting up a facade or, or gay or bi and are putting up a front. You're talking specifically about genuinely straight identified dudes. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm not even talking, I think some people have misunderstood mm. that this book is about, some particular weird subset of straight identified white men who do this. And it's, it's really not about a, uh, uh, a population, a particular population. Mm. It's really about all straight white men. It's about the culture of white hetero masculinity and so this how should, this many should... opportunities are built into the experience of being a straight white man yeah. to touch your friend's bodies. And I wanted to ask why that is. I mean, and it's from, I mean, I look at uh, public bathrooms, you know, teenage boys experimenting with each other, biker gangs, fraternities, the military, personal ads, you know, um, ret truck stops. It's pretty phenomenal. Mm. Um, the range, you know, prisons, of course, the range of environments in which this happens. And it's as if anytime you get uh, a lot of straight identified men together, they manufacture reasons to put their fingers in each other's butts. <laughs> <laughs> you say the word anuses so many times. How many how many times did butthole get knocked off by an editor? Be like, you can't say butthole. You know, <clears throat> I didn't feel compelled to say butthole. No. Otherwise, I don't know if they would have let me say it. No, I would have. Yeah, I'm 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 more partial to asshole. You you're more partial to asshole. Yeah, that's your butthole reminds me of my brother. Something my brother <laughs> called me when he was like ten. Okay, more partial to asshole. I just I just felt like very. I, f I felt like in your mind you were writing anus, but you were thinking like asshole. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. Uh, it was. Well, you, and certainly I write penis a lot when really right. you know I like well, to use another word. Well, in the first ten pages, it was just like it came up so many times. It was like, wow, right. this is. A lot of anus talk. Well, and there's a reason yeah. there's so much anus talk, which is that uh, if I, I – I don't mean straight men having gay sex because gay sex is referring – gay is an identity. It's a sexual identity. And these – so these men – it would be um, very misleading to call mm. it gay sex because, in fact, it's quite yeah. heteroerotic. It's happening for heterosexual right. reasons in very heteronormative context. But the other thing is that if I went out and said, I'd like to interview, for instance, you know, straight identified men who've had homosexual sex, very, very few of the men that I'm writing about in this book would think that that had anything to do with them. Because in most of the cases I'm describing, the men involved don't actually think not only do they not think what they're doing is homosexual, yeah. but they don't even think it's sexual. Yeah. Um, and so you could ask the same guy, have you ever had a homosexual encounter with another dude? And he would say no. Mm. Have you ever put your finger in another dude's <laughs> anus? Oh, well, yeah, you know, in who the did, Navy. Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, you didn't? <laughs> right. What's wrong with you? Right. Okay. <clears throat> so then tell me. So I've, you know, in my times on Craigslist, uh, I've seen the ads, the M for M's, where it's... Uh, it's hey, straight guy wants to jerk off with another straight guy, just looking right. for a jack out jack off buddy. Right. 
no touching. I'm not gay. I just right. want to watch porn. Right. Netflix, jerk off and chill or something. Right. And then why is it that they want to do that? Or why, what, what is well, it? Well, Billy. Oh, does that come to the hate mail? <laughs> I have one example. So I brought this hate mail, but I have one email that I got. Um, well, I got actually a couple from straight identified men who just wanted to like say, great book. You described me. Let me tell you my story. Okay. And um, so here's one of them who answers your question. I don't know if his name is really Jack. <laughs> That's what he calls himself. I'm going to take a so, guess as to what his last name is. <laughs> so he says, um, when you, this was an email sent to me. When you're up and edging it along, consuming the wonders of new porn, there's a desire to share what's going on. This is really like articulate already. It's almost, it's almost uh, uh, poetic yes, writing. Yes. <laughs> and deep down, women don't really get it. Jacking off with another straight guy is not much different than popping the hood and comparing engines or watching the tools and techniques others use to perform maintenance on their equipment. Plus, it's so different than sex with a woman because she wants you to come and you don't want her to work too hard or, heaven forbid, have it soften up a little because then there's anxiety and she thinks she's doing it wrong. What your book is about – he's telling me what my book's about here. <laughs> what your book is about – Is he doing a little man, mansplaining? <laughs> yes, I, I, hear that's yes. a, I hear that's a verb the that's, kids are using. That is the thing that happens. <laughs> Yes. Um, what your book is about is the desire to have an audience. I want to have someone watch me come and the shared thrill of seeking someone else blow out a load. It's not gay. Gay men want to suck it, taste it, fuck it, swallow your cum. What I do isn't touchy feely. Everyone cleans up their own puddle of goo. So I don't know if that is helpful. Um, that's an that's an English major. That's a a tuition paid for that email. Yeah. Uh, it, actually, all even the hate mail has been, um, at, at least elaborate, if not articulate. Wow. Normal normally haters on the internet are very smash keyboards and lots of spelling right. errors. Well, this is an academic book. It's yeah. put out by an academic press. Yeah. It's rare, actually, that academic books get as much media attention as this book got. So mm -hmm. I have to say I was completely unprepared uh, for the amount of press inquiries that I was getting and right. interviews and so forth. Um, and I certainly was not prepared for the hate mail. And it turns out that... Um, of the remarkable number of hateful and totally bizarre emails that I've received, about 98% of them are from gay men. And so the people angriest about this book, interestingly, have been gay men. I did, I did read one or two things about your book that were kind of angry, and they were right. written by gay male right. authors. authors. Right. Something about like uh, stealing something from their culture or like having something for their own. I think one guy might have been The Guardian – or the Atlantic, and <clears throat> he was mad that he wanted, like, as a gay man, to have something for himself because even being gay wasn't gay anymore. <laughs> right. Like, like right. liking musicals yeah. wasn't just for him any yeah. longer. Yeah, uh, he's mad that I want to go see Hamlet, uh, Hamilton. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so but he was mad, like, buff fucking. That's supposed to be our thing. That's that's right. the last thing we had left. Right. Like he's grasping an imaginary cock. He's like, this is the last thing I've got. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty ridiculous. I don't know if you do, but um, we all have assholes, so butt-fucking does not belong to uh, gay men. Um, you know, I really had to wrestle with these responses to, and, and try to understand them and what – I think a few things were going on. I mean, one was that for a lot of gay men, especially gay men of a 
sort of a particular generation, older gay men, you know, they fought so, so hard to be able to be out and proud. And they feel like they still feel like it's so much easier to be straight. And of course, anyone would want to be straight. And so to the extent that my book is arguing that we should just allow these dudes, you know, these um, bro-y frat dudes who put their thumb in each other's asses mm. to be, to retain their straight identity. That felt like a kind of reward. Like I was giving them something good. They should be forced to um, be called gay like everyone else who does those behaviors and engages in those behaviors. And what those gay men I think are missing is that from my perspective as a queer feminist, being straight is no reward. You know, I I would it's... die if I were straight. I would be so depressed. I would be devastated if I were straight. I love being queer. And so um, I'm really writing from a place of I in no way want to welcome these dudes into the queer community. You know, they have no investment in queerness whatsoever. They're mm. they're entirely invested in homophobic misogynistic hetero heteronormativity so i want them to just they can just stew in the juices of heteronormativity but i think that is a really challenging argument for a lot of gay men who um who feel like i said like like being straight is a kind of gift that we should withhold from anyone who let you know let's look puts a cock in their mouth sure sure I um I want to talk about labels a little bit because you know you talk about the fluidity of like sexual orientation and, and sexuality in general for for both genders or for either for for genders uh, all the genders all genders all genders guys um you know with like the rise of what's now like called like heteroflexible with right which used to probably be like one of the numbers on the Kinsey scale uh you know yeah, like straight people don't have to grab on to being bi or or gay anymore, or, uh, with, or the we don't hear as often the homoflexibles who like can still you know have some pussy and then still be like a gay man from mm -hmm. time to time mm -hmm. and not have to say he's bi, you know. So why don't these guys necessarily fall into that, or do they? Well, they don't because, like I said, in many cases they don't see what they're doing mm. as sexual. You know, if you think about that dude in high school who's doing the gay chicken test or, you know, slapping his friend's ass and um, and calling him a fag or, uh, you know, the guys in the Navy who are participating in this ritual where they're like shoving rotten food in each other's mm. assholes and eating it out and stuff like this. Uh, uh, the idea that you would you would say, okay, now you need to identify as a gay man. It's just ludicrous. It's that's that's not the meaning of that act for them. It's mm. not about identity. It's about um, a a kind of heteromasculine practice that makes use of homosexual contact to actually bolster or strengthen heteromasculinity to show that one can endure that like gross abject homosexual act and stand up still a man you know yeah. unbroken still totally a straight dude i bet you i could i could take a bigger dick i bet you i could right. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so i mean it seems laughable but uh they're just a lot of examples okay. of this so is it a so, problem then that that they don't have to claim the gay label and that they can still be the he-man macho person? Well, I think 
the culture of white heteromasculinity is a problem in like 10 million ways. Yeah, we've, but, we, we've but fucked up royally. I the know. problem, <laughs> but the problem is not that these men are not identifying as gay because what they're doing is not about being gay. Um, it's, it's kind of like saying, you know, if you really look at misogyny and how central misogyny is to the culture of straight men, mm-hmm. It's an interesting contradiction, right? Because on the one hand, if you're a straight man, you're supposed to really love women, desire women. It's all about women. But you also see that that desire coexists pretty harmoniously with a lot of like disrespect and, and frankly, hatred of women, which is what misogyny mm. is. Well, to say that these straight identified guys are gay because they, um, they touch each other as part of a, this, this like macho show macho spectacle is kind of like saying well they're gay if they are hating on women because who would do that if you were really straight you would just love women you'd want a naturally hairy bush you'd want you know women's come all over your face you'd love women's natural bodies their armpit hair you know but men don't they Mm. want to really like most straight men um want a very modified female body and they um, have really, really narrow um, understandings of what female beauty looks like. And there's just a lot of alienation from the reality of women and what women want and women's desires. So so anyway, the point is, um, it's not a problem that they're not identifying as gay because it's not about being mm. gay. The problem is the homophobia. The problem is the sexism that's running through these practices. All right. Okay. As someone who doesn't, partake in the misogyny or homophobia part of me feels justified to be defensive and say hey you know you should qualify that a little bit but at the same time i recognize you mean not all men (laughs) that kind of qualification yeah but without taking away i don't know i guess what i want what i get frustrated at is being accused of things i didn't do right and part of me thinks uh i can just take that on the chin I should. And the other part of me wants to kind of stand up for myself and be like, oh, no, 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 wait, not me. Right. And I don't know. Uh, what, like... I know what you mean. I uh, The way that I think about this, or the way that I'm able to Because I know I'm not the this, only guy who feels this way. Right, yeah. right, right. So the way I'm able to connect with this is um, as a white person. So when I'm hanging out with friends of color, and they say to me, like, you know, we're having a dinner together, or we're having drinks, you know, I fucking hate white people. What's wrong with them? I get it that the last thing that they want to hear me say is, right. oh, but come on, what about me? You know, give my ego a little, a little right. stroke right now. And I don't, you know, I think when I was in my early 20s and I was just getting politicized around race and racism, I I had that reaction, like, well, not all white people. Uh, and now I get it that... um. Of course they don't mean all it's like they do and they don't mean all all white okay. people. You know, of course not all white people are um uh engaged in um police brutality. Of course not all white people are engaged in whatever maybe the most heinous or um 
uh, expressions of white supremacist violence, but all white people benefit from the system, you know, that perpetuates mm-hmm. that. And so it's like you're implicated and you're just, dis- you're, you're uniquely positioned vis-a-vis racism. And that should just be a given, you know, I think it's really ready. Part, part of what it means to be a good ally is to just be there for your friend when she says, men fucking suck Mm. um or when your friend of color says you know i hate white people because you're honoring that it makes sense for them to feel that way and you're recognizing that that both does and doesn't mean you so i should not respond with like me too like i'm totally (laughs) hate them too that's I don't know. I think sometimes I think sometimes mm. that actually can be if that's how you really feel, I think that that can can be okay to say that. Okay. Okay. Take that in mind. Uh so so you get hate mail for this book which uh I find almost as hilarious as the cover because uh this, you know, triggers all of my body dysmorphia <laughs> this fucking thing. Uh she got she got two guys. How so? Uh cuz the two like in shape thin dudes uh they're a week away from six pack abs. Mm-hmm. This is them at their laziness. Mm-hmm. This is them. Yeah, right. They're, well, they're sur- they appear to be surfing. Those yeah. are surfboards in front of them. They're sitting on top of a truck. Yeah. And this, but this is them in like in their not lifting season. This right. is their not. Right, right, right. They're right. like, they had a burrito and it's fine. They're yeah. not worried about it. Yeah. I can't yeah. do that. I can't have a burrito and not worry about it. Uh, <laughs> Every burrito <clears throat> registers. In the abs. Oh, yeah. Okay. Three and a half years on and off Weight Watchers. So, you know, it's okay. uh, every day is a struggle. Uh, but you get you get hate mail for this book. So besides are, are all the ones you have printed up, the gay men who wrote in or these? Well, a lot of people wrote in. These are just some examples <laughs> that I brought. And other I, than the one I already read to you, they're all gay men. Yeah. Do you have a Do you have a favorite? Yeah, I do actually. This my favorite is not actually an email I received. It's an Amazon review <laughs> of this okay. book. It was written by someone named Lawrence Topping. And uh, <laughs> this is what it says. I'm a retired gay male clinical therapist, and I read this book. A profile. I believe the author, sometime in her youth, suffered an assault or was a victim of one of many forms of abuse at the hands of a straight white male. I also believe she subsequently never effectively resolved this traumatic experience, and as a result, she carries its emotional damage with her wherever she goes, whatever she does. Likely beyond her control, she allows the ill effects of this past trauma to negatively affect her thinking and behavior in interpersonal contact with white men. White male bosses, co-workers, subordinate employees, clients, students, and white male members of the general public. She's done so in all social arenas, work, school, family, neighborhood, church, and the internet. And now she's written a book. This emotional disorder is evidenced by her biased outlook on the subject matter and especially through her unnecessary personal anecdotes. So that. Wow. Yeah. So that one is my favorite because, um, you know, this is the other thing I wanted to say about the feedback from gay men is that. Um, this book has unleashed no end of mis- of misogyny. <laughs> um, you know, it's pretty classic that when women write about men, 
Or when women are just when women are lesbians, or women want to like say smart things. You yes, know? or when women want to <laughs> say smart things. There's a chorus of men who are who are like you know, um, you man hating dyke. What happened to you? You either were you, you know you suffered some kind of trauma, or you haven't been fucked by the right man, or you just need a good fuck. I mean, just on and on and on. Mm. Um, uh, these ad hominem totally. Uh, personal pathologizing attacks on women when we dare to speak about any any kind of general cultural practice and so um in this particular case one of the things that became very clear to me is that gay men have really owned the public conversation about what it means to be queer, whether we're born this way or not, whether mm. people can be sexually fluid or not, whether sexuality ever could be chosen or cultivated. Gay men have fiercely um, owned and defended um, the territory of that debate. And in a lot of ways, this book, it's about it's about straight men, but it's also about the boundaries between gay and straight. And I also reflect quite a bit on my own experience of feeling like I was not born a lesbian. Mm. Um, and I think that really infuriates gay men in part because they don't want lesbians speaking out about, they don't want lesbians taking back this conversation or, or um, having a place at the table. And as like a adult very well educated intelligent woman uh, queer woman like how does that make you feel that's gotta suck well fortunately uh in in most ways it's of little consequence i you know i am a successful professor and a writer and the there are audiences of other academics who understand this book and students who understand it and love the project. And so I have my audience. I think it is depressing in the sense that, like I said, I wasn't expecting so many people to buy and read this book, just the general public. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that happened is exciting. It's wonderful. And it also means that I got to see up close and personal what your average gay man thinks about women and thinks about sexual fluidity. But is that really, I mean, is that still the average gay man or is that the average outspoken gay man activist? Yeah. I mean, of course all there are gay men living all different <laughs> kinds of lives, but I, I think um, in terms of gay men who are engaged in or invested in debates about things like, um, you know, the, is sexual orientation nature or nurture, mm. um, that there are kind of two camps. And what's becoming clear is that there's a tremendous amount of animosity among those two camps. And so with one camp being kind of a queer social constructionist oriented camp that is interested in in looking at the ways that our sexuality is shaped by our social context and then people in a more gay i would say kind of more gay liberationist gay mainstream uh who who hold the view that we must say that we're born 
gay because that is the politically expedient thing to say because then then people will have to accept us and then be, we can become legitimate and so forth and they're not they're they're angry about us you know radical queers kind of um um in in some way confusing the message making things too complicated but the thing is that um, there's this great book by a feminist, a lesbian feminist scholar named Vera Wisman called Queer by Choice. And she talks in that book about how lesbians are far, far more likely than gay men to understand their sexuality as more, um, you know, as, as, as something more agentic, something more, something that they cultivated, something that was, that evolved over time in relation to maybe feminism, to political experiences mm. that, and, and, and so the fact that the born this way discourse has is, is the prevailing discourse tells us a lot about how much gay men decide what we all are going to think about what it means to be gay. I think it has a lot to do with, with whether or not people have, you know, the, their their path into being gay and into into gay culture, and so for people who came out in colleges and universities where they were taking um, gender studies courses, queer studies courses, I mean, in general, in the in the academy, right. there's a lot of attention to the history of sexuality, the social construction of sexuality, the political economy of sexuality. So we're really looking at how these universals, like you're born gay, and which would imply that people have always been born gay. But if we look back in history, we know that, you know, even the word gay is only 150 years old, yeah. and people have understand understood homosexuality in remarkably different ways over time. And, and you know, and, and, and across nations and yeah. regions. And so I think, I think education is a big part of it. It forces you when you're really, um, looking at cultural and historical variation in, uh, within s sexual identities, it really forces you to question that, um, biological narrative. And a lot of, people i'm not saying they're not smart but they perhaps didn't get to they didn't have access to those courses or to that reading or to this this uh, that other way of thinking and so what they do have access to is kind of the gay mainstream gay movements party line mm. that comes down from hrc or from these gay organizations which is you were born that way and therefore the straight people have to accept you mm. okay I guess for me, like I haven't, because I haven't read the books. I didn't take a gender studies class, so it's easier for me, simple-minded person um, like Joe, anybody to see like terms and like I can understand. I can understand gay and bisexual and transgender, and I can start to understand queer. But then as soon as it starts to get a little bit murky, it starts getting to all these things where it's like, well, I don't know what those words mean. Like, uh, you know, people are learning about asexuality for just now, and that's still like a thing some people don't mm -hmm. even get. And then um, intersectional, um, intersectional uh, feminism, that's a right. thing like I didn't even know about right. until in the last year. It was the first time I even heard that phrase. Right. I still yeah. don't understand it because I was like, I haven't gotten to that book yet. It's in the queue. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible privilege and luxury to have access to all of these, all of this terminology. Not most people don't. Um, and so that doesn't mean that people don't understand those concepts because mm -hmm. often we understand them through lived experience, even if we don't know that there's a fancy word for it. Right. Um, but I think often, though, the problem is that you're inundated with other kinds of narratives that are kind of the dumbed down either what uh what corporations want you to think about your identity about gender for instance yeah. you know um corporations want you to think that if you're a little girl you should be wearing pink and you need pink legos and if you're a boy you need blue legos and all of that and so it's it's in, until you're provided with a counter discourse something that is going to critique yeah. that then you're just going to buy that narrative and i think for many gay people they think you know i'm i'm gay i'm proud i want to do the right thing i care about my community which is fine so i right? exactly yeah. so i'm going to support my local gay organizations and 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 i'm surrounded by people who talk about how they were born gay and um, and I think that's, that's what's going to get my mom and dad to accept me. And yeah. so it just starts to make sense until it doesn't. And I think for a lot of people, it actually doesn't when they allow themselves to really think about, um, their own life experiences. Okay. Okay. Um, can you tell me a little bit about intersectional feminism? I know asking you to tell me a little bit about it is like yeah. not the easiest thing, but, um, it's a it's a phrase that's getting thrown around more and more in like digital media. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are seeing it and know that they should support it. And I don't think we totally understand what that means. Okay. But they're like, well, I get the feminism thing. Uh, right. Pay women equally, right? What's this intersectional thing? Okay. Well, feminism is not pay women equally. No, I know. <laughs> but I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, okay. So intersectional <laughs> feminism um, is the you know kind of the basic premise of intersectional feminism is that you you cannot effectively address women's oppression if you don't look at all of the forces in women's lives that shape that her experience of gender oppression and what we know is that how women experience gender oppression isn't actually just shaped by being a woman it's it's shaped by being um, a Chinese woman. It's shaped by being a lesbian woman. It's shaped by being a disabled Latina woman. That that the precise way that we experience our gender is 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 always embedded within our racial and socioeconomic and religious mm. and cultural context. So intersectionality is about saying, you know, there is no universal woman. There's no one. Um, women's experience. There's no one strategy that's going to work for all women because um, there's a lot of hierarchies among women. What it's like to be a woman living in the United States is very different than what it's like to be a woman living in, uh, you know, an occupied, living in Afghanistan, right. for instance. And so the just basic argument of intersectional feminism is that you have to, in order to actually be an effective feminist, you have to expand your, um, your, your analytic lens, your political mm. lens beyond just looking at gender. Because when we do that, and we're focusing just on like equal pay, for instance, we usually mean white women. Okay. 
The reason for that is that if you actually look at the pay gap by race and gender, you see that It's a lot bigger for like Hispanic women, right? And African-American women? Yeah, if you're using white men as the reference group. But what you see is that um, uh, Asian men are the highest paid um, uh, population. And then you have white men. And then you have Asian... Then you have white women. Mm -hmm. And then you have Asian women. Okay. In each of these categories, and then I think... um, uh, Latino men, African American men. I'm not looking. I don't have this in front of right, me. Right, right, but in yeah. each one of these categories, women. There's definitely a gender gap in that women make less than men within their racial group. But there's also a race gap in that white women make more than um, black like, men. Right. So you can't just, you know, of course, if you're <laughs> a white woman and you're out there complaining about the gender pay gap. To a black man, he's going to be like, "Shut up!" Yeah, <laughs> you know. But then, but so then, this why... is why you have to keep you have to keep both race and gender in view. But then, why is there a new label for it? Why isn't that just feminism? Why isn't that just why not? Why aren't we just okay? This next semester, this is just now how we're going to teach feminism because we now know better. Why do we have to now have another like subdivision of it? But just uh, just as from a language standpoint, I mean, it doesn't just at one point get too confusing. Well, I think all feminism should be intersectional. So I think you can just say feminism as long as your feminism is intersectional because that's what it should be. So, you know, if you don't want to always add the intersectional, I think that's fine. But the reason, you know, there's multiple feminist paradigms. There's radical feminism, liberal feminism, Marxist feminism, post-colonial feminism. I hear there's one where you guys uh, (laughs) enslave all of us dudes and put us on an island. That's why I heard. Oh, on a, a like chat. lesbian separatism? Or? Uh, probably. I don't know. I heard. I saw I on the forum. I call that the gender war. The gender which sometimes war. Sometimes I fan. I do sometimes <clears throat> fantasize about that, but it's you, of course you, complicated by the fact that I have a son. You know what? What happens to my little love bug during the gender war? There'll be a. There'll be a, a quiet. <laughs> like, listen, hush, hush, wink, yeah. wink. Put a wig on him. He's he's For with the us. Little boys, right? <laughs> well, um. You know, we need intersectional feminism because the first and second wave. You know, it was it was like, oh, it's so hard to be a woman because there you are sitting at home with your vacuum and your microwave, bored, cleaning your house, opening your can of peas. You have no meaning in your life except waiting for your husband with curlers in your hair. Well, that was being offered as if it were the story of all women's lives. But of course, that story was just the story of white middle class women's lives because, you know, black women were not at home with curlers in their hair. They were like cleaning that chick's house. Exactly. And so there was just so much of that was just rampant of talking about um, feminism and women's experiences in a way that was just so centered on what white women were experiencing that in the 80s um in the late you know in the set in the late 70s and into the 80s there was just a beautiful um uh um um proliferation of feminist texts by feminists of color mm-hmm. responding you know of theorizing their own lives and that you know the the term that was given to that body of work into that particular way of thinking about gender is intersectional okay okay 
Uh, I feel I feel like everyone now at this point uh, they have now gone about like a semester's worth uh, <laughs> of a preview. I think a lot of people just saved a few thousand dollars just yeah, by listening right see? now. Um, free podcast. You can send me a five dollar check in the mail, <laughs> Jane Ward. You see Well, um, uh, or you can at least or at the very buy least book. buy her book because uh, I'm already enjoying what I've read so far, and I look forward to finishing it by the time this is released. Um, where can they get the book? Any bookstore or? I know it's one of those uh, academic books. So. Yeah, well, um, I'm I'm not feeling so good about Amazon politically, but it is there. It is um, there. So you can order it there. And it's also on Kindle, and soon there will be an audible.com version of okay. this book. Uh, Whose who's, uh, silky voice is going to be reading it? You know, I can't remember her name. I... Uh, there was this funny moment when NYU Press said that they were going to float it by James Franco's people because. <laughs> 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 but there was a reason, which is that um, a couple months ago, right after the book, I mean, if anyone out, is, it, yeah, is this guy, right? <laughs> so right after the book came out, he was in his dressing room reading this book and took a photo of him <laughs> holding the book and put it on Instagram and put like "great yeah. book" and so instantly you know when someone like james franco does that you sixty thousand yeah. people are like hey i'm gonna check out this book so the press thought let's have james franco read it but what was so funny about that idea aside from just that he of course would never do it was that this book is written in the first person so james franco would have been like you know I was a dyke and blah, 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 blah. You know, I just <laughs> yeah, I'd believe him, though. I'd believe him. You'd believe him. It's, yeah, James Franco. If anyone could pull it off, it would be it would be him. He he maybe do it. He does movies that gross like $2,000, you know? I know. He's and a, he actually has written several books. I don't know. I didn't realize that until. He's a big artsy dude. He's got a lot of free time. Yeah. And he's on my list, my very short list of men I would do. Oh, yeah. There's so, a short list. Yeah. <laughs> Except for that I'm in a monogamous marriage, but in an alternate universe, mm-hmm. James Franco. Any any other big celebs up there? Yes, one who's at the top of the list is really unexpected cuz he's just so hairy and stuff, but Javier Bardem. Okay. Yeah. You, you don't like a hairy fella? No, not no. at all. I like a uh, Leonardo DiCaprio circa 1995 or something. Sure, the young Leo. Yes. That young, <laughs> yeah. right before Titanic Leo. Right, exactly. Yeah. Just because he Gilbert looked Grape. like a lesbian. <laughs> Gilbert, Gra- Gilbert Grape, he did look like a bit like a lesbian. Maybe yeah. a handicapped lesbian, but he looked like one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very loud. Not yeah. Like- so this is the thing, yeah, is that I tend to like really fey or girly, girly men. But so I don't know what's up with the Javier Bardem. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, um, so so Amazon. It, yeah. Or but- NYU Press or at like Powell's. Go to your independent bookstore. Tell them mm-hmm. you want this book if they don't have it. And do you have a website? I do. It's uh, Jane, uh, com, and I tweet at The Queer Jane. The Queer Jane. No no confusing there. No. No. I, uh, I, I'm the only one. The only one. You're the, the only, only queer, queer Jane. Jane. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, thank you for coming on the show and, and teaching the poor dumb straight cis white boy a few things. Yeah, um, absolutely. Anytime. Lord knows I have lots to learn, <laughs> as I'm told frequently. Um, but you've been great. Uh, feel free to say goodbye to folks. Wonderful. Well, thank you and goodbye. Straight dudes are fucking weird. <laughs> I mean, look, I didn't have a lot of friends growing up, and maybe that's what they were all off doing. I don't know.
Look, I mean, if that's the case, then I am fine having gone home after school every day and reading the dictionary versus fucking fingering dudes' buttholes. <sighs> Crazy stuff. Um, fantastic conversation. Please buy her book. I am enjoying it myself. Is a fantastic read. The book again is called Not Gay Sex Between Straight White Men. Uh, and go check out Jane Ward all over the interwebs. Uh, you can find her at janewardphd.com. She's on Twitter at the queer Jane. And uh, while you're on Twitters, hey, I'm there too at the Billy Persita. Say hello to the both of us. Use the hashtag manhor podcast. Let us know what you thought about the episode. And if you want to say something more privately, like a comment, a question, your favorite Man Whore podcast moments, booby pictures, uh, email that over to manwhorepod at gmail.com. And lastly, if you can, if you got $5 a month, a dollar a month, a quarter, whatever you can, please make a pledge today to support this show on Patreon. I'm giving you some free content every week. And if you can do a, if you can give back anything, it'd be much appreciated. But, uh, I'm I'm feeling good, people. Fresh off of a Jets win, my dick won. I I call that a solid day. Uh, so you guys have yourselves a good one. I gotta start uh, working out some more this week because I got an orgy on Saturday, and uh, I'd like to look kind of cute. So <laughs> until next week, everybody, uh, have a fun one, and don't forget, stay slutty. 